Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting-edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is James P. Friel. I am joined by my co-host with a very convincing fake British accent, the one and only Dean Holland. How are you, Mr. Holland? How are things in the UK? Why, hello, my furry friend, face friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am marvelous in my breast. Best breast. I'm marvelous in my breast. You can't today. even get it out. You're so excited about your fake British accent. <laughs> I'm tripping over my own fake accent. That's right. Falling all over. Well, I know, uh, <laughs> I know you're sharpening your pencil for uh, today's episodes because we're both ready to take notes and hear, uh, hear an amazing story. So you guys are in for a real treat today. We're joined by Edward Elliott, who is a serial entrepreneur. And, you know, I think that term gets thrown around very loosely for a lot of people who, you know, start little initiatives, but they never go anywhere. And they're just like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. But there's a difference between a successful serial entrepreneur and one who's just continually moving from you know, thing that doesn't work to thing that doesn't work. And eventually, you know, some people get there and some people don't. But some people, you know, make a huge success of starting companies, running companies, selling those companies for massive amounts of cash. And uh, it'll come out in his story. But I'm excited to uh, welcome Edward Elliott to the call today, who started a business in grad school and then 15 years later, sold that same company for uh, just short of $80 million. So this guy knows what? knows what he's talking Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. We are lucky enough to have you here today. Edward, how's it going, man? It's going fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here, James and Dean. Thanks for having me. Definitely. I'm excited so, for this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dean can barely contain himself. So, <laughs> so let's get right to it. I know you've got, uh, you know, got a lot of good things to share with us, but one of the One of the first things I want to ask you is, you know, you've been on the journey of, you know, starting something from scratch before maybe you even had an idea, like really how it was all going to wind up. And I'm sure you've got tons of lessons to learn. What's one of the biggest lessons that you've got, you know, right out of the gate for anyone who's, you know, starting and running a company? Uh, Just, you know, start share with us your story and your wisdom on on how you uh, how you were able to do that and make something such a big success. Again, it's a pleasure to be here and to have the opportunity to share what I've been through. As you mentioned, I have been a serial entrepreneur basically my whole adult life. When I finished undergrad at university, I studied engineering and computer science. In 1997, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life except one thing. I didn't want a job. And at the time... It was the early days of Silicon Valley and the dot-com days. And my friends and colleagues from university were getting job offers for like six figures to move to California, go to these fancy places with like pool tables and ping pong tables and chefs and food and stock options. And I'm like, no, that's not for me. So 
I took my $70,000 in student debt and put it on hold and applied to grad school and said, there's got to be some place in here where I can figure this out. So that's where I, where I started and why I really decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur is that there was something more that I knew that I wanted to do that I could give back to the world, but I just didn't know what it was then, except that feeling inside me that this is what I needed to do and where I needed to go. So that's, that, that purpose sort of started stirring. Dean, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this too, but I think every entrepreneur I've ever talked to has had a moment where they've just said, you know what, I don't know exactly what my future is going to look like, but I know that I don't want it to look like this. And I don't want it to be ordinary and I want to make contribution and I want to be passionate about what I'm doing. You know, so I, I think that's so consistent with all the people that we've been talking to, that fire that sort of burns within. Yeah, definitely. I, I think like you've just said there, there's been a theme with with everybody that we've been speaking to on this show. And it, it seems to continue that, that that's the case. I know there was a funny story behind me kind of leaving my job <laughs> and, and jumping out into the into the entrepreneurial world. But we probably not got enough time for that. But let's just say it involved Las Vegas, a limo <laughs> being slapped around the face and then returning home to the UK the following day and walking out of my job. Yeah. Uh, and we'll come back to that one another day. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, folks. We've got a great story. We're going to keep, uh, keep We're on reveal there. that in episode 98. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, we're throwing the ball far down the field, just hoping that people will stick with us long enough to hear the crazy story about Dean's you, Vegas experience. You have to now. You cannot not come back. You have to. Absol- absolutely. <laughs> so, so now you're in grad school and you're sort of trying to figure out what you want to do with life. So how how do you go from that to zeroing in on something that, uh, you know, decade and a half later you sell for, uh, you know, a lot of money? So in grad school, I'd say there was a lot of time to just think about things. And I picked a professor to work with that was young and new and hungry and just came to the university. So I could have that opportunity to really just be in a space of of trying to discover what things were. So it wasn't just about being in grad school, it was about how can I be in a place where I have the, the time to discover what this is. And in that time, he also had, the our professor also had an entrepreneurial spirit of like, how can I take this research that I have and convert it into something? So with that, myself and another fellow grad student who was there, his name was Ken. And the professor, we started on this journey with the university working with us to say, how can we commercialize some of these ideas that we had or some of the research that we were working on? So that's where it really started. And then as we started on that journey, we connected with the fellow at the university and they got excited about what we were doing and what could happen. We realized that, hey, Maybe we don't really want to do this with our with our professor, but so we went, we pitched the university this other idea that we had that we saw for the future. And at the time, it was really just an idea. And there was no business plan, there was no prototype, there was no no, no real anything except that we believed that we saw the future and it was going to be reality. And just with that belief and that desire and that vision we had, we convinced him that 
we should put this aside with what we were going to do with the professor and they'll choose us. And we became the first and I think only company that was ever funded by the university, started by the university without a plan, without a product, without a professor, without research behind it that had some success. All right. So so clearly, if that's the thing that happened, you must have had a, a great way, a great vision for what you were wanting to do, right? People don't just throw money at something that they don't feel yes. is going to take off. So how did you describe that to people in, in such a way that you got that level of support without, you know, a lot of experience and uh, planning and that sort of thing? So I think we saw something that was happening at the time there where people were shifting to the to the internet. The internet was was new at this time for the, I'd say, people in the public. I've been around in the universities for about 10 years, but it was new for people in the public. It was 1998. That was the same year that Google started. So that's, if you get some time frame of how things were shifting then, and we saw the future of what then was called, and now is called digital signage, which is really taking these big digital screens, now LCDs, and putting them in public places and using them for one purpose, to communicate to the person at the point where they're making the decision of what they're gonna buy, where statistically people knew that 70% of the buying decision is actually happening then. So our vision was put these screens everywhere, they're going to be everywhere anyway, and create a system behind it that would manage the content that goes there, interact with what's happening with products, sales, the weather conditions, etc., and optimize and sell the products that are most relevant at that point in time to optimize someone's business. That might sound a little bit complicated, but basically similar to what everybody does online, you want to make people buy, convince people to buy what they want at the time when they're making their decision and pulling their wallet out and say, Here is, here's what you really need. I know you came here with some other idea, but here's what you really need. So give me an example of where you would place one of these things and who, like, who a potential customer was or something like that, just to sort of bring yeah. it to life a little bit. So Charity was really our, our first customer. So we started in 1998. And we started working with this customer in the fast food industry or in the coffee and donut business. I live in Canada. There's a company here called Tim Hortons. It's probably similar to Dunkin' Donuts. I heard in the UK they just opened their first store last week. And there was huge Mm, lineups like around the block. So we approached them early on in our business. And what they wanted to do in their store, they they have donuts and muffins that have a shelf life and they wanted to use our solution to in the store as those were expiring to promote those donuts so that they didn't have to throw them away so put in mind hey this is what this is what i need to sell right now let me influence people by showing them nice pictures of the food and give them a discount or show them an offer at the time where it's relevant for them where they're deciding hey i'm gonna buy this right now I see. Yeah, mm. makes sense. Awesome. I, Edward, I'm not sure if you realize, but uh, 1998 was also the first year that Dean Holland got fish. <laughs> so there's like a lot of, there's a lot of amazing right things on. that happened that year. Right on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, landmark moment in his yeah, life. Yeah. So one of, one of my things that I've, 
I learned along the way is that there's, and I see a lot, certainly being online, is the sort of myth of the overnight success. Our business went through ups and downs and sideways things through the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust to realizing how we really need to make money rather than rely on investors' money and survive through that time to after six years, we got our first big deal, which was with this company I was just mentioning called Tim Hortons, where they invested $50 million into into putting our solution in all 3,000 of their locations. And that really launched our business and pushed us to another state. So not, not to interrupt here, but, but I think you glossed over something that's really important. Yeah. You said after six years, you got your first big deal. So what I want to know is what happened in the first six years and how did you guys continue to stay convicted enough that, hey, we're going to keep doing this because we know we've got something because I'm sure that there were some rough patches during those first six years. Mm-hmm. So the first sort of year and a half was walking around with a, a big screen that we paid $24,000 for. So that's how much a 42-inch TV cost back then. <laughs> wow. Uh, with a computer and a screensaver and traveling to every place where someone would listen to us and say, this is the future. Do you want in on this or do you want you want to be part of this because we're going to make this happen? So this you're is, literally you're like literally traveling around in a car yes. with a 42 inch TV and a computer. And you you're like, OK, we're here to give you your demo. Yes. And like, do you want some of this goodness yes. that we're building? Talking to wow. investors, talking to potential customers. And this was the, there was three of us, the guy from the university and Ken and myself. And we spent every day doing this for about a year and a half until finally the person that ended up being the one that that partnered with us at the beginning was across the corridor in the other part of the building we were already in. So sometimes (laughs) you just need to look right in your backyard. You don't need to go that far to find what you're really looking for. It's the uh, beginning of that story sort of reminds me. I just saw uh, the founder, the story about Ray Kroc that Michael yes. Keaton was acting in. Mm-hmm. You remind, your story about driving around with your TV screen in the back of your car reminds <laughs> me of what he was doing, selling those milkshake machines to every fast food place. Yes. Yeah. That, that hit home for you? Oh, yeah, for sure. It, yeah. Uh, cool. It did. Are there any lessons or insights or whatever? I'm sure at some point... In the you know in that year and a half, you were like, man, this is hard, right? Hard hard work is like, geez, I thought this is going to be a lot easier. You know, all my friends are out in the Bay Area; they're making you know six figures or more working at these cushy jobs. Meanwhile, I'm driving around Canada and I got a TV in the back of my car, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. But I'd say the one the one thing that I that we had in us was this desire to make it happen. So that kind of pushed aside everything else that was going on at the time. And really, we believed in it so much. And having at least one other person, which was the, the university, believe in us too, was enough to fuel us to keep going. So I never really thought about what everybody else was doing or whether I should do something else. No matter what, 
in this uh, when he made the choice to to do this and start this. If everything else fails, no matter what, I could uh, I could always go get a job. So it was always there, but thankfully on my journey, awesome. I never had to do that. Nice, very solid. Yeah. So it. okay, so let's let's get back to six years into this thing. You get your first big deal with Tim Hortons. Now you've like slowly been growing this company. I'm sure you had some deals before then, but this is you know this is a bit this is a big deal, obviously. Yep. Not just. Yeah, and and so now now you've got other problems, right? It's because I think a lot of people think, well, as soon as my company starts making money, I don't have any more problems, which is which is basically <laughs> bullshit. There's yeah. just more problems. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, money, so how did you go from that yeah. phase where you know things yeah. were sort of you know slowly marinating and you're making progress, and then now you've got a big deal. I'm sure with a $50 million contract comes a lot of expectations from your client and, you know, demands and all and fulfillment and all this other stuff. So talk about how you, you know, you essentially have to keep reinventing yourself, don't you? For sure. So by that, by that time, we were in the year and a half to the six years, we grew to like, I don't know, about 40 or 45 people and then shrunk back down to about 12 people again to ride out the wave of the dot-com bust. We carved out a little niche market for ourselves, which was putting these screens in, in men's washrooms above urinals uh, in some of the major cities in the U.S. and selling advertising on them. That helped us to sustain our, our revenue and keep us alive and continue to build out the big picture of what we could do with some of these big clients. But after the, during that time, we solidified at least the core people of the company. So the core team that's going to help take this to the next stage. So we we're prepared for this to come. And as a came, we already had a plan in place for how we would, how we would move and grow. So people are doing this, know that the success is going to come and be prepared that that's going to happen. So if you, skip that step and this and the money comes all of a sudden it may end up being like i don't know some of those lottery winners you see on tv or in the news sometimes they get a big spike and then they settle back out to where they were before one of our the things we did was to make sure we had the plan in place for when we knew the success was going to come so we were prepared for when it was when it was there. That's, that's the danger is, oh, as soon as success here, you know, is here, like a lot of people have this sort of utopian or fairy tale idea of, you know, success and, and, you know, m making money and like achieving your goals and, and all that sort of thing. And you're absolutely right. Like if, if you're not prepared for it, it's hard. It's like, it's right. Yes. There certainly was some challenges. Like you have to recruit people, you bring more people, we had some investors, the ownership of the company changed, the structure changed at that time, and lots of things happened, and we, we didn't have planned, but we were prepared again for the, for the success and, and still driven by the vision of what we saw and what was now coming to life at that time, 2004, for the future. And it gave us fuel to go on and work with a bunch of other uh, major companies in the world, like Walmart was one, 
McDonald's, uh, the Home Depot, Chick-fil-A, in Canada, a couple banks, and really understand and get into that retail and food services business. It gave me a lot of experience there and helped me to, to even grow further into some of the things I did past that business. And so, so the Tim Horton deal, what was it about that deal that caused you to be able to start going after some of these other big companies? Because you're, you're obviously this this idea of you know digital digital signage and and you know visual marketing inside of places to sell products and stuff like that. This was early in those days. Like you were a you know a visionary for this. And so was it you know kind of a combination that the market was starting to see the trend towards digital, or did you learn more about your you know your prospect and your client, and you were able to better package and frame that sales conversation to sell? sell more effectively? It was both of those, mm-hmm. if, that, if that makes sense. So first, the market was becoming ready from two perspectives. One, that the early adopters like the Tim Hortons were willing to put their money down and see how this goes. The second was the technology was at a point now where it could be affordable. So you could get 50-inch TVs at that time for like less than $1,000. So that was a big piece of the puzzle that was happening. You could, when we started, internet connectivity was $150 a month. Then you could get it for like 20 bucks for high-speed internet. So some of those things came along to help the process and the vision come to life. Then the credibility of having a, having a customer like that also was leverage for us to go and give us confidence and things to speak to others. And the concept, or people were aware of what it was now, that it wasn't just about advertising on the screens, but it actually could be something in the background that could help manage and run their business. So by gathering intelligence, gathering information and things, and letting it help to decide how to manage the sales message on the screens, and the stores really helped that. People saw that that was coming and that was happening. And this was the beginning of it. Awesome. Let's talk about this next phase of the company. So you've got multiple big clients coming on. And now mm-hmm. you know, now the company is you know successful. It's scaling. You're making things happen. During this phase or maybe even at the beginning, had you ori- originally intended like, all right, we're going to get this company to a certain point and we're going to sell it. Or like, how, how does all that happen? How do you get to this next stage of the company? So rewind for a moment to the beginning. So the beginning goal of doing this in the, in the first place was to get rich really quick and then just go live on the beach. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> still, I think a lot of people's dreams, but, uh, but uh, it didn't become a reality at the, at the beginning. And after a few years of the business running going, okay, this is a real business now. You need to make it happen. So let's go. We're in for the long haul, and let's uh, let's keep going. So now that we're established, we're working with these big companies, and we're working with some major brands. The company's growing. What happened for me was, I'd say, this kind of connection between the business being personal, and even though. Everything's personal in your life, but having this kind of personal connection with the with the business as being a found, the founder of it. My name was in the name. The company was called EK3. 
it meant Ed Cannon 3, and the 3 just sounded good. It didn't really have any meaning. <laughs> but, nice. But, but I realized at this time, like around 2008 or so, that this was something that I was personally attached to, and it started having an effect on, on my life and the things like, almost like I was in a relationship with it or like a marriage with it. And when things would not happen as I'd like them to or wanted them to, I'd take it personally or it would personally affect me. And I'm like, this, this doesn't seem right. There's something here that needs to be different or need to change. And as I went through this process of, of change and I'd say growth for myself at that time, after 10 years of growing this business, I'd say I went through like a separation anxiety and this separation and departure or personal divorce from the from the business. So for two main reasons. One, so that the business could exist without me. We've seen businesses around where the founder or the founders are the business. And without them, the business cannot succeed. And the second was that I looked at myself and said, what is the real purpose of of businesses and when it came up with there I f- felt was really uh, profound and kind of unique was that a business is for a person is a is a vehicle for them to achieve their vision and their purpose in their life and it it may be there for some period of a season it may be there for a certain reason but certainly not there for your potentially for your whole lifetime. Once I realized that and went through this phase, I'm like, okay, businesses are these vehicles that I can use in my life to be able to create the vision I have for myself and my family and those around me. So it gave me this new desire and new purpose for, hey, what could I create and what else could I do with my life beyond just what I've done right now? And that sort of propelled me to the next phase of my life that started in like 2010 of journeying on to like first teach people about business, talk to people about business, consult with other businesses, travel the world and talk with companies about business and entering this online space and things like that and starting a few other businesses along the way, some successful, some not so and leading me to where I am today, where I have a couple of successful companies and looking at others to invest my experience with and time with and and how can I just really help people go through this this process and this journey of seeing their vision come to life and taking what I've learned and what I've experienced to help them maybe skip some steps, uh, not learn, have to learn some lessons like I did along the way, and really enjoy the journey. What would you say some of the most impactful key lessons that you learned along the way that would be useful for people to hear would be? Like, is there a top, like, is there like one big glaring thing that you're like, man, that cost a lot of time or a lot of money, or I wish, you know, I wish somebody had told me this sooner. Everything in your life is personal, but you shouldn't take business personally. If you can figure that part out early on in your career as an entrepreneur, from my point of view, it will save you a lot of 
personal anxiety or challenge or things you might need to go through. That's number one. The second one, which which is beginning with the end in mind. So looking at when you start a business, it's almost like a marriage. And though people don't like having prenuptials agreements or things in a marriage, when you start a business, it's good, even though in the excitement of everything, you don't want to squash it or push it aside or talk about what if these things don't work out. But having those in place at the beginning, especially if you have a partner, is really important for the times when it is going to come that you want to go separate ways, you have different ideas of what the future is and what you want to do. And uh, it's really important to to have these things uh, in place or at least considered at the beginning. So have your vision. Don't let your dream get squashed looking at something that might seem negative, but make sure you take care of those things and have them in place when you get started. Just, just to jump in, sorry, I just, I just want to pick up on something that really resonated with me in what you was actually speaking about, Edward, and I think there's probably a lot of listeners that can probably resonate with that too. Um, and just to go into it in a bit, bit more information, you mentioned about getting too attached to the business. I think mm-hmm. from my own experiences, like I'm going through quite a lot of this stuff kind of right now as we're actually growing my team. You know, I've realized in, for, for myself in my business, there's been many areas, not just the business as a whole that I've become too attached to, but many different individual areas within that business that I'm sure people can relate to, like becoming too attached to products or becoming too attached to the service you offer, let alone just being attached to the company, even being attached to certain members of staff. You know, being too closely attached to your staff where and, and for me, I've, I've learned particularly over the last 18 months. I don't know if anyone else has got any sort of feedback or thoughts in this area that if you find yourself like that, you actually start making an emotional decisions that aren't necessarily steering the business in the, the actual right direction. You know, falling in line with what you've just said there about knowing the end goal. You know, I've, I've found for me like in the earlier stages of my business, you, you start out with, with the plan, but then somehow along the way, you get so deep into your own business and become so attached to it that you kind of lose sight of where you're actually heading or what you're actually doing. So yeah, I just wanted to pick up on that. It really resonated with me. I thought that was awesome to mention. I think of that as the difference between working in your business and on your business. Yeah. So how to make time for both of those things when when at the beginning you're probably doing both roles and playing both things, how do you make sure you keep that time at least for the on your business part, whether it's daily, if you need to do it daily or quarterly or yearly, whatever it is to take that time of reflection, reminder, looking at what your plan was, looking at what your vision is, and then being able to, as you just mentioned, the emotional part of it, being able to step outside of the emotions of people and things and stuff and make the, the decisions that might be tough, might be challenging, that you have to make for yourself and the others there. Making sure things are realigned if they have to be. What would you say one of the toughest decisions that you had to make over the course of your career as an entrepreneur was in this, in this, you know, kind of conversation of not being personally attached? The toughest decision I made is in the journey of my first business 
in 2010, it became clear for me that I needed to move on from the day-to-day and do something else. But I wasn't willing to make that decision myself right away. But since it was happening in me, others noticed and they helped me make the decision for me. So every day of the, the CEO that I'd hired for the company coming to me and saying, Ed, it seems like you're really passionate about doing something else in your life right now. How about we help you make that happen? It was a conversation I knew needed to happen. I knew was right, but I kept saying, no, it's not the right time. It's not the right this, not the right that. But once it was right there in front of me and the offer was on the table, it was like, okay, now it's time. And within like five days, I moved on and started the next part of my entrepreneurial career. Just out of interest, do you, do you feel ever is the right time in that, in that sense? I think the time's right when you make the choice that it is. So I wasn't willing to make the choice. Right. So I think that's how I, how I would categorize the right time. If you're not willing to make the choice at that time to do it, then it's probably not the right time for you. Right, yeah. Makes Even sense. though you, you should make the choice or you could make the choice, you're choosing not to. A bit philosophical, but that's how I kind of look at the whether it's right or not. Yeah, for sure. People tend to think about things in right or wrong. It's, it's really just about the choice you make at that moment. And I would just wasn't willing to make the choice myself then when I look back. Sure. Well, and clearly, if you were able to, you know, move forward in, within five days, all of the systems, the infrastructure, the people, like all those things were already in place. Everything was and in for, place. Yeah. Right. And for you, it was a question of like, all right, like, what do I want to do now? Yes. And giving yourself the permission to do it, I guess. Yep. Because I know I talk with a lot of business owners who would love to move on to the next thing, but there's, you know, they don't have the right systems in place yet. They haven't brought on the right people to, you know, to run things in their absence. And so, you know, I think there's probably that window in there where you're wanting to set things up and then, you know, potentially where you were, where you're like, man, I guess I can do it now. It's almost like realizing that you actually achieve the goal and then being able to move forward with it. Yeah. Reflecting back is like, yep. I did put all the pieces in place and all the things in place so the transition could happen in that quick a period of time. Yeah, because that's, you know, that's that's amazing that you guys were able to do that. So it's, uh, you know, obviously an indication that things were running very well at that point. Mm-hmm. So so let me uh, let me just shift the conversation a little bit. So so now, you know, now since then, since you sold uh, your first company, we, you, you know, you've started some other companies, some have worked, some haven't worked. You've been working with, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and, and business owners to, you know, share your wisdom and your insights. You know, if, if people wanted to get in touch with you and say, hey, can you give me your perspective on this? Do you you work with people in that sort of capacity? I have worked with people in that capacity and uh, and open to working with them again and in a consulting capacity to say, really to share, as you just mentioned, how can I help you to see what might be going on with your business that you might not be seeing and giving you some insights and direction and potentially strategies to to move through those uh, along the way. 
there's a fellow that I that has it had an influence on my life for like the last eight years or so named Gary Vanerchuk and he talks about the clouds and the dirt and one of the things I've realized about myself is I can see the clouds and the vision and the strategy and the big picture of how everything comes together and then also zoom all the way through the pieces right down to the oh this needs to be done right now Awesome. So as we uh, as we conclude the uh, the show today, is there some place that people could go to find out a little bit more about you? I do have a website and a business set up called Right Mind Leadership. It's called brightmindleadership.com. Nice. Where I have some information about myself as well as you can put in your email and contact me and we can have a conversation. Awesome. Well, anyone who's listening and wants to talk with somebody who's uh you know, been in the trenches, starting something from just a uh, just a small idea and turning it into you know a very successful company, and then uh, you know repeating that process multiple times since then should definitely reach out to Edward. Edward's been super great having you on the show today, Dean Holland. Any parting thoughts from you on your side um, of the pond? I, I think I'm just blown away by the intelligence and wisdom for which has been imparted. I, I think Edward, you, you quite possibly have one of the most intelligent voices. I think I've heard. Uh, in a long time as well. Just, just, your, just your whole demeanor of tone is, is just highly intelligent. And I've uh, taken a lot of good tips from you today, my friend. And I think in kind of parting for myself, I have definitely written down here and circled design your life and have the end goal in mind. Something I think far too many people forget about when they get into business. They get wrapped up in business and they forget they're actually doing this to actually provide a certain life. And they get wrapped up and forget about the life bit and they design the business and not the life. So I want to thank you for the wisdom imparted here today. It's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll just I'll just echo that. I think, you know, your comment on that a business is a vehicle mm. that you create to, you know, kind of create an outcome versus like it's a you know this is me like this is you know i am the business and all that sort of thing i think that's that's extremely poignant Absolutely. and uh, i hope a lot of people who are listening to this will take that to heart because that's probably a major difference between you know even when you achieve success if you don't get that right i don't think you feel fulfilled mm -hmm. and if you do get that right i think you get the success and the fulfillment so edward mm -hmm. it's uh, just some sage advice and thanks so much for being on the show really appreciate having sure. you here today Awesome. Been my pleasure. Just like to let people know that, hey, if you have a dream inside of you, just do whatever you can to take some action on it and make it reality because it's worth it. You can do it. And the results from James and Dean who are here hosting this and many others uh, around show what can really happen when you take your dream and just do it. I love it. Awesome. 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 Well, thank. Well, thanks for that. All right, everybody. This is a wrap. Uh, this is James P. Freel signing off. Uh, just the tips. Goodbye for now. Dean Holland and I will talk with you next time. Later, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day -day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com forward slash autopilot. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.